coming of our King. Let me pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Lord, we do ask for your help, that you would send forth the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words, that he would enlighten our hearts, that we might know and understand and be grown by your grace. Grant anointing to the hearer and preacher alike. We pray these things in the precious name of our risen King Jesus. Amen. Reading Luke chapter 19, verse 28 and following, hear now the word of the Lord. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Amen. Well, things had been coming to a head. For three years now, Jesus has been traveling around in places like Galilee, Samaria, Judea, the Decapolis, and Perea, calling people to repentance and faith and proclaiming the good news of the coming kingdom. He had attracted a lot of followers along the way. If someone were to show up in our area healing folks who had been uh, maimed for years, folks who had never seen suddenly were able to see, folks who were paralyzed being able to walk, those who had demons for all their lives to have them cast out, I imagine that we would take notice too. Even though they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all these things back then, those were good days, weren't they? Uh, the, The word got out. The word got out and people had responded to Jesus. But the thing is, people had responded to Jesus in in several different ways. Some really liked him. Some liked him because he had healed them. Some liked him because he was the Messiah and they understood that. Some liked him just because they gave him food to eat. Others, however, were opposed to him. They were opposed to him because he didn't hang out with the right crowd. He ate with sinners and prostitutes. And he didn't speak too highly of the Jewish leadership. In fact, quite the opposite. Through all of this, as you read through the Gospels, it is clear that Jesus is the one in charge of the timetable. He has come with a very specific mission. He is to come to fulfill the law, to to walk in in perfection, perfect obedience in our stead, to proclaim the coming news of the kingdom of God, to uh, lay down His life for us, to be raised from the dead. He did this for us because He loved us, and and all of it is on His timetable. 
But you see the timetables of others trying to encroach on that. Indeed, at one place in John chapter 6, after he has fed the 5,000, the people try to take him and to make him king. And yet he doesn't let that happen. And at the very same time when one group is trying to make him king, you have another group that's trying to kill him, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And so today we come to Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this week, this week, both will happen. Both will happen at the same time. He will be crowned as king and he'll be killed at Golgotha. Here is the crowning of our Savior, His coronation. And He arrives on Palm Sunday, going into Jerusalem. My friends, our King has arrived, and we'll see this morning that we need a King to deal with Satan, our sin, and our sinful self. There's a shift in the Gospel of Luke all the way back in chapter 9, verse 51, where we read, When the days drew near for Him to be taken, to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Since then, Jesus has been traveling through Samaria and Perea, which is on the other side of the Jordan River, heading to Jerusalem. He'll stop by in Jericho where He will heal blind Bartimaeus, and He'll save that chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Then He arrives in Bethany, where He will spend some quality time with His dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, whom he has just recently raised from the dead. Can you imagine the conversation around that table? He will spend Friday night and Saturday night, so think of today as Palm Sunday, so Friday night, the one we just had. He will arrive Friday or so in Bethany. He'll spend Friday night. He'll spend the Sabbath with them, which begins at sundown on Friday night and ends on sundown on Saturday night. And then his buddies, his friends, will throw him a party, will throw a feast for Jesus. Now, the next day we begin to see that people will begin to understand that he's the king, but, but he's been telling folks he's coming and he's going to die, and then on the third day rise, but no one really understands that. And so it's a surreal scene as he feasts with his friends. Jesus knows what is coming. His friends might have some inclination, but they don't certainly think it's going to end at the cross. But it's kind of Jesus' last respite before the events of the week begin to ensue. Very quickly, they start to happen. So on Palm Sunday this morning, Jesus rises out of bed, and He sends two of His disciples to a village in front of Him, which is probably Bethphage. He tells them to go and to get a colt that He might ride into town upon it. Now, it's hard for us. We've never been to uh, the Promised Land. I know some of y'all have, or to um, the Holy Land. I haven't. But the Mount of Olives is not far from Jerusalem. Quarter mile, half mile. It's not far. The, The reason that he is going to ride on a donkey is not because he's tired. Someone who's been walking around for three years suddenly doesn't need a, a colt to ride on the distance from Jennings Park, Jennings Park to here. That's how far we're talking about. How long would that take us to walk? Seven? Eight minutes? There's something else going on here. And we're clued in from our text. There, there are two references to Old Testament texts. And the first is Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Every year during the years of the Davidic kings in the Old Testament, um, the king 
went through a ceremony every year where they re-celebrated his coronation. It would be acted out again. And do you know how this began? It's really cool. He would get on a donkey at the Mount of Olives, and he'd ride down to Jerusalem. And do you know what? They would sing when he's doing it. Psalm 118, which is referenced right here in verse 38. We're removed from the situation. We don't see exactly what's going on, but my friends, everybody knew what was going on here. The king was coming. The true messianic king. Because here's the thing, every year in the Old Testament when they celebrated this, they were ultimately looking forward to the day when the true king would come, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the true Messiah, when he would arrive on the scene, they had practiced it time and time again. And here, after not having a king on the throne for centuries, the true king has arrived. This was foretold in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Holy Spirit, speaking through the prophet Zechariah, told of a day when Jerusalem would rejoice. This is exactly what's going on in our text this morning. He would arrive not on a war horse or a charger. The true king would come on an animal that's only used for peaceful purposes, the colt of a donkey. And so here is the Prince of Peace, the king, the true king of David, Messiah, God himself, at the week of Passover, nonetheless. And he asks two disciples to go and get this animal. Everybody knows what's going on. The time has finally come. So these two disciples, we don't know who they were. They don't necessarily have to be one of the twelve. Could have been blind Bartimaeus who could see a donkey for the first time, perhaps. Or Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector who's been forgiven, rejoicing that the Lord would send him on this journey. We don't know who it was. But he sends them, and those who are sent, they went away. And he, and he tells them, look, you might be asked uh, about this cult when you go and try to get it. If someone showed up at your house and started to take your ride away, you might have some things to say too. But here is this cult who's never been ridden before. As one commentator put it, much like Mary had never known a man before and carried the king of the universe in her womb, just like the tomb that would hold him had never been used before, so this cult as well was unbroken, never having been used before. And sure enough, when the two disciples go, they, the owners say, hey, what you doing with my donkey? And they say, the Lord has need of it. And it appears that these owners were disciples and knew this Christ, knew whom they were talking about. And I would imagine, we don't know, they probably followed that donkey to see what was about to happen. Well, when the disciples and the donkey arrived back to Jerusalem, apparently now at the Mount of Olives, as one commentator puts it, they put their long, thin, quadrangular, quadrangular robes on the colt so as to provide a, as comfortable a seat as possible for Jesus. Everyone knew what was going on. This was not a joyride. This was staged. This was planned. This had been choreographed from the beginning of the foundation of the world, and they had been longing for it for centuries. And what they had been waiting for was now about to happen. The king was about to arrive. 
If you went out this morning on the way out of church and you saw a really long procession of cars with SWAT team cars and SWAT teams hanging out of uh, windows and there was this huge seven-ton limousine with bulletproof glass and little American flags out front, do you know who might be in that car? Probably the president, right? If you were to look up in the sky and there was this 747 jumbo jet with the blue uh, colors and Air Force One written on the side, United States of America, whatever it says, who do you think is going to be in that thing? Probably the president. If you were to see the Pope Mobile, have you ever seen the Pope Mobile? You know what I'm talking about? You know, the, the Pope, when he rides around with audiences, he has this mer- fancy looking Mercedes with this bulletproof dome plexiglass looking thing, and he, he waves like this, and he's got his white cassock on and his pointy hat. Who do you think's in that thing? Probably the Pope, right? Those things would be obvious to us. This is obvious to those who are present that day. Here is the king. And who is it? It is Jesus. Verse 35 says the disciples set, they place him on the donkey. They were putting the king on the king mobile. And so they start their journey down to the gates of Jerusalem. They're saying a lot of things. There are a lot of observers. And in each um, uh, narrative from the four Gospels, we have slightly different accounts of what, we're, what they're saying. Because everybody's saying something a little different. Here in Luke, they're paraphrasing Psalm 118, 26. We read in 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In Matthew 21, 9, we read, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In Mark chapter 11, we read, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Why is this good news? They're excited this day, aren't they? Why would it have been good news to them? Well, a lot of it was good news to them because they misunderstood what was going on. They, they thought that here was the king, the true Messiah, and what's he going to do? He's going to show up, he's going to head straight to the Praetorian Guard, he's going to take out the Romans, and he's going to reestablish an earthly kingdom. Here's our king who will rule on the throne. This is what explains how so many of this crowd could go from, Hosanna, God save us, hallelujah, praise God you're here to we have no king but Caesar, crucify him, just a few days later. They misunderstood what was going on. Something so much greater than what they thought was going on was ensuing before their very eyes. We have great news that our king has come. The first we must realize is that Christ is king. Whether you, whether I, whether we submit to him or not, he is king. He happens to be the one who made all things, who owns all things, who created all things, who sustains all things. He is all in all. He is king. It's just like if um, you say that we have a president, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, independent, doesn't matter. He is your king. Or he is your president, whether you like it or not. Our Christ is our king, whether we like it or not. Sometimes it's hard for us as Americans to like the idea of a king. If we're honest. Was it South Carolina or somewhere? Their, their, um, their crest says, this is what we do to tyrants. And some, some dude's foot is on the king's head. That's what we do to kings around here. We kill them. Um, but it's good news. 
It's good news we have a king. Imagine you lived in Europe in the Middle Ages, a time of, of, of rampant raids. The Vikings are running around. People are dying left and right. There's injustice. You know, whether you might have a strong king or not is the difference between life and death, poverty and prosperity, justice and injustice. It's good to have a powerful king. It's good to have a good king. And this king came to defeat our enemies. We forget that it's good to have a king because we forget that we have enemies. And the first and foremost is Satan. There was a strong man who had to be bound. Before we were in Christ, we were under the power and the control of the evil one. This is one of the explanations why there's so much evil in the world. Satan is is the one that is behind the tyrants. He is the one that is behind the genocide. He is the one that is behind the unrest. And we were the ones who were following him. Colossians 1.13 says that we were in the domain of darkness. Ephesians 2 says that we are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work amongst the sons of disobedience. Fancy word for Satan. We were under his power. Romans 5 says that we are the enemies of God. And in our natural state, we followed Satan. We were in bondage to him. But here's the good news. Our king, our king has come and he has defeated Satan. That we might be rescued. That we might be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Upon the cross and upon the the empty grave we read Colossians 3.15 He, Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. We needed a king who would defeat our enemies. And Satan is right up there. My friends, he's been bound. He's been defeated. When Christ comes again, he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. No longer to mess with the bride of Christ. That'll be a good day. Because until then, he's mortally wounded. But we are no longer under his domain because Christ has set us free, our king. Salvation Bearing Jesus. But we also have another enemy that needed to be defeated, and that was the power and guilt of sin in our lives. Romans 6, 17 through 18 says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin... Does a slave have a choice? No. That we who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You know, even as believers, we know the power of sin. Before we become believers, we can't say no to sin. We are under its power and its guilt. But Christ, our King, has come and has delivered us from the bonds of sin that used to enslave us. Both its guilt and its power, these have been taken away from us. It couldn't just come through a a human king. It had to come from the God-man, Jesus. This is the good news of Palm Sunday. The King has come, and He has come to defeat our enemies. We've been set free, and therefore we can read in Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our King, who deserved no condemnation, took, his con- took our condemnation on Himself so that we might be free from it. We need freedom from Satan. We need freedom from the the tyranny, the bondage of sin. But we also need freedom from our sinful selves. I need Christ daily to rule in my hearts. 
Do you know this hymn? We sing it at Christmas. It's not a Christmas hymn. Come thou long expected Jesus. It's talking about the second coming of Jesus. There's that great line in there. To rule in our hearts alone. He has come to rule in our hearts alone. That daily when I struggle with my flesh, when you struggle with your flesh, our King by the Holy Spirit restrains our flesh because it too has been nailed to the cross. How how did this happen? Obviously, the crowds were going to be disappointed very quickly. What else could explain their change from Hosanna to kill him? Well, the interesting thing is the king had to die. In order for our sin to be defeated, in order for the guilt and power of sin to be gone, in order for Satan to be defeated, our Savior, the king, the true king, had to die. He would save us, he would save them, not by defeating the Romans or throwing out the Herodians, but laying down his life. He would be crowned with thorns instead of gold, whipped with cords instead of being fanned, pierced with nails instead of receiving the praise of his people. He would be rejected by the Romans, the Jews, the crowds, and even many of the disciples. And then in the hours that confused creation itself, the Father poured out his wrath upon his beloved Son. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased, he said. He would pour out his wrath on his Son so that we might be freed, so that our enemies might be defeated, so that our King could save us. Satan and his seed would would bite the heel of our Savior, but on the cross, according to Genesis 3.15, our Savior crushed the serpent's head. And praise be to God that three days later, when those ladies went to the tomb, they didn't find his body, because he had been raised from the dead. Our king who had died did not stay dead. Our king defeated death. He was raised on the third day that we might be saved. Our King has set us free. In this passage, we see many different responses to the coming of the King. Some accepted Him, more rejected Him. Christ is King whether we accept it or not, and He is a good King who came and laid down His life for His enemies, for you and me, so that we might become the friends of God. And He will do this for you today. This is His offer. The King has an offer for you. It is a good offer. He is paid for the penalty of your sin. And He welcomes all who are tired and weary and heavy laden who need rest. He has taken your burden upon Himself and He has borne it. He has come to set you free. It is free to you, but it was costly to Him. You merely have to accept the King's offer and bow your knee before Him. This is important because one day, even as Mark mentioned in his children's sermon, our King will return. And every knee shall bow and confess that He is Lord. And this time He will come with the trumpet calls that are due to the glory of His name. And it will be a day of great rejoicing for all those who have bowed their knee before the King to see His kingdom when it has finally come and finally brought to earth. May that day come soon. Amen. Let's pray. Our King, we thank you that you have set us free. Help us, therefore, to live in that freedom that you have given us. And we yearn for that day where all is made new, all is made right, and we bow the knee before our King. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.